1: Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff sitting in the luxurious corner booth of said Catholic Cafe. That's my legal term for where I am and what I'm doing. And I'm here with Tom Dorian. Hello. Tom, how you doing? I'm well, and you? I'm doing fine. Good. You look fine. You look wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful is a good word to use. I like to use the word wonderful. I know you do. It's a wonderful word. It is. It's so expressive. It is. And today we're going to express another teaching of the church. We are. I get lots of questions about the role of women in the church. I'm sure you do. And, you know, and a lot of times it just it focuses in and keys in on the concept of ordaining women. Okay, why does the Catholic Church refuse to ordain women or why does the Catholic Church put women down or try to keep women in their place? I mean, I hear this all of the time. Really? Yeah. Now, tough subject, but they don't. Well, I know they don't. But I guess the point is, if people feel that way. Yeah. They may be justified in feeling that way for That's some tr- reason. That's true. Depending on who they're listening to and where they're getting their information from. Yeah. I thought it'd be a good idea for us to do a show, um, in a very non-confrontational way, just talk about what the church teaches about women in the priesthood. Good idea. And why the church doesn't ordain women. And yeah. a lot of people, some of it's common sense. Some of it's you know comes from us, uh, comes to us from scripture. Mm-hmm. So I thought we would go through some of this material and just see where it all. Lays out. Let's go. Well, let's start with the whole concept of priesthood. Okay. We understand even from the earliest times in the Old Testament we that God established a priestly role, right, and, and knew that this was an important thing. In fact, when we read uh, from the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 18 – So the Lord said to Aaron, You and your sons and your father's house with you shall bear iniquity in connection with the sanctuary. And you and your sons with you shall bear iniquity in connection with your priesthood. And you and your sons with you shall attend to your priesthood for all that concerns the altar and that is within the veil. And you shall serve. I give you your I give your priesthood as a gift, and anyone else who comes near shall be put to death, so it's very serious very right he gave God gave this priesthood to Aaron and his sons right right so and and we also see that that even in Jesus' day mm-hmm. we read in Hebrews in chapter five that this priestly role continues, okay. Here we have, for every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Right. So this role of the priesthood continues even through Jesus' day. And as we know as Catholics, there is a role of priest. Absolutely. That we, will, that we don't get rid of, of the priesthood. A lot of people, a lot of many Protestant uh, denominations have decided that, well, Jesus is the high priest that replaces all priests, so we don't need priests anymore. Right. Right. Well, that's not what the Catholic Church teaches and understands, and and that's not necessarily what we get from from Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so we see again that yes, Jesus is the ultimate High Priest. Why? Mm-hmm. We also read in in Hebrews chapter three. Therefore, holy brethren who share in a heavenly call, consider Jesus the Apostle and High Priest of our confession.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The way we view the priest in the Catholic Church is continuing. In that role of Jesus Christ, and in fact, they are Christ to us. We have this great Latin phrase. Do you know what that Latin phrase is about? I, I don't. Yes, you do. Which one? Well, in persona Christi. In persona Christi. That's right. right. They are in the person of Christ. Right. In persona Christi. Right. And and that's important for us to understand because we see in the priest Jesus Christ. Right. So when someone says, "Why do you confess your sins to a priest to a man?" Well, we say we are confessing our sins to Christ because he is Christ to us. And remember, at the at the altar, at the consecration, mm-hmm. the priest says, this is my body and this is my blood. Right. Ah, well, he's not saying this is Jesus' body, this is Jesus' blood. So the priest is acting in the in person per- of Christ. Right. He represents Christ to us. He ministers to us as Christ. Right. Now, if we understand that concept... Mm-hmm. Then we also need to understand this concept. So pair the idea of of the priest being in the person of Christ. Mm-hmm. Jesus was was revealed to us, given to us as the Son of the Father. Right. So Jesus is a male. Right. So we have this priest who's in the person of Christ. Right. But we also understand Jesus as the bridegroom. Jesus himself calls him the bridegroom in in Matthew chapter 9, but also in uh, in Mark chapter 2 and Luke chapter 5, we read, and Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. And John the Baptist even ratifies this understanding. Mm -hmm. John the Baptist, we read in John chapter 3, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now full. He must increase, but I must decrease. Mm -hmm. So this is John the Baptist calling Jesus the bridegroom. Mm -hmm. So help me here, Tom. I'm going to help you. All right. If you have a bridegroom, you have to have a bride. Correct. I mean, that's the way it kind of works, I think, by nature of being a bridegroom. Right, right. The groom marries who? The bride. Exactly. Well, who's the bride? Got to be the church. It is the church. Right, right. We see in the Catholic Church and Holy Mother Church, we see the the church is the bride. The church is the bride of Christ. We we hear this reference all the time. So we've understood that Jesus is high priest. That our Catholic priest is in the person of Christ. Right. And that Jesus is the bridegroom of the church. He's married to the church. Right. Okay. So now we have to see that our priest is married to the church. In fact, it's kind of interesting. A lot of times people think, "Well, I thought your priests don't get married." Well, they don't have a wife in the sense that uh, you and I, Tom, have right. wives. Right. They don't have that kind of a wife. But many priests actually wear a wedding band. Yep. Ask him what that wedding band is for, and he'll yeah. tell you. It symbolizes his marriage to the, the bride of church, right? The bride of Christ, right? Right. So he's married to the church, right? And he's the father. Of all of his parishioners, yep, right, and all the kids in the in the church school are his children, right, right the the kids of the families in his parish are his children, his spiritual children, yep, so we see that familial relationship mm-hmm. now think about it this is this is this is where common sense kind of kicks in, and we have to look at this relationship if indeed Jesus is a male, a bridegroom, and is married to the church, mm-hmm. and the priest is in the person of Christ and is also married to the church, mm-hmm. if the priest were a woman, if we ordained a woman, and that woman would then be married to the church, a female. So then we would have that unnatural relationship between a woman and a woman. Right. Which was revealed to us as not the natural order, not the way things were supposed to be and not what God intended. God intended that the man marry the woman, that one man marry one woman, right? They become one flesh. Right. And so then we would have that sort of unnatural relationship. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people think, well, I never thought of it that way, that if the priest is in the person of Christ Mm -hmm. and the priest and Christ is married to the church, that means the church is is married to the priest as well. Yeah. Right, and so you can't have a woman married to a woman. Yeah, right. It's just common sense.
2: There's got to be somebody out there, Deacon Jeff, that's saying, you know what? That's just so old school sounding. Right. That's just old. You know, come up with times. It's get more current. What do you well, say? What do you say to that? Well,
1: the first thing I say is go go to Romans chapter twelve, verses okay. one and two, and and Saint Paul tells us that we're not supposed to conform ourselves to this world. Okay. That's the first thing we do. We're supposed to be uh, transformed by the renewal of our mind. We're supposed to have this Holy Spirit is going to change us and make us conform to the church, not the church conform to us. So when someone says we need to get up to the times, you have to wonder, are you saying that the message, the teaching, the truth of Jesus Christ was only meant for a certain time period? Right? No. Right. It, it it lasts for all eternity. That truth never changes. Yeah. That truth lasts for all eternity. Yeah. And so this relationship between Jesus and his church, the bridegroom and the bride and the priest and his church, again, the bridegroom and the bride, never changes. It is eternal because Jesus said to Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail against this church. Right, And so that's what I say. I'd say... Don't conform yourself to this world. I know the world is telling you that it would be better if we have women priests or if we have married priests or if we thought that the homosexual relationship was one that would be a valid uh, natural relationship or that the use of contraception, any of these teachings, that there that are so many challenges that come from the world today. Mm-hmm. If we were to accept any of them just in the name of getting up to date, mm-hmm. are we really better off now? Not in a physical way, but like in a spiritual way, in an understanding of loving each other. With all the advances that we've had in the world, all the modern things going on in the world, is there no more crime? Is there no more death? Is there no more greed? Is there no more sin, ill will, hatred, bigotry? Right. No, it's all still here.
2: Exactly. As
1: modern as we get, we get up to date. That, to me, is the biggest thing why we shouldn't just suddenly, let's change everything because we have to get up to date. Let's modernize. Yeah, Modernize should not mean kicking out all of the ancient teachings of the church. Yeah, Those dusty old creeds. A lot of people think they criticize the church for having these old, dusty old ancient creeds. And G.K. Chesterton once said, give me those dusty creeds. Because yeah. those are the creeds that withstood the test of time. They've been around. Yeah. That's why they're dusty. Yeah. The new creeds, they fall by the wayside regularly, right? Yeah. So we want to it's okay to modernize in the sense that we have uh, nice buildings, we have a, a greater understanding of our uh, uh, you know science and technology right. and, and a lot of things and how the world works but we don't want to modernize to the point where we kick out the old teachings where they say this truth is no longer true anymore because truth by its definition would be eternal yeah because god is eternal and, and and truth is authored by god yeah so we look at god as eternal and we, so we look at truth as eternal so that's a little bit we got lots more to talk about when we talk about women in the priesthood right mm-hmm. we're going to do that right after this
0: Pestorzemski. And this is another great moment in church history. In the year 203 AD, a young Christian woman was martyred for her belief in Jesus Christ. Her name was Perpetua. She along with several members of her household converted from the pagan religion of her father to Christianity. Saint Perpetua was married and had a young son and in most respects had a normal life in the Roman city of Carthage. While imprisoned, St. Perpetua wrote a first-hand account of her suffering. It is a testament to the suffering the early Christians had to endure to live their Catholic faith. During the reign of Emperor Septimus Severus, all subjects of the Roman Empire were strictly forbidden from becoming Christians or Jews. This law was mainly aimed at keeping more Roman citizens from converting. Under this decree, Perpetua and her companions were arrested and thrown into jail. As a new mother, St. Perpetua was separated from her baby, which caused her extreme suffering, she wrote. Such anxieties I suffered for many days, but I obtained leave for my baby to remain in the prison with me, and, being relieved of my trouble and anxiety for him, I at once recovered my health, and my prison suddenly became a palace to me, and I would rather have been there than anywhere else. St. Perpetua's father begged her to forsake her Christian beliefs for the sake of her family's honor. According to St. Perpetua, her father said, Daughter, pity my white hairs. Pity your father if I am worthy to be called father by you, if I have brought you up to this your prime of life, if I have preferred you to your brother's. Make me not a reproach to men. Look on your mother and on your mother's sister. Look upon your son who cannot live after you are gone. Lay aside your pride. Do not ruin us all, for none of us will ever speak freely again if anything happens to you. Despite her father's objections, St. Perpetua held fast to Christ. Even through the intense family pressures and the terrible suffering she had to endure, about her father, she wrote, I comforted him, saying, It shall happen as God shall choose, for assuredly we lie not in our own power, but in the power of God. After many visions of heaven, the devil, and her final end, Perpetual was taken to the amphitheater to be martyred. For her love for her son, she is the patron of expectant mothers. I'm Bess and this is another great moment in church history. Welcome back to the Catholic Cafe. Here's Deacon Jeff, and
1: we're back in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe. I'm talking to Tom Dorian, Wingman. There you go. There you and go. So, Tom, we're still talking about women in the priesthood. We are, and we just heard a little, a wonderful ditty from my wife, whom I'm married to, by the way. God bless her. That's right. About Perpetua, a wonderful woman in church history, mm-hmm. and we have to stop and recognize the fact that first and foremost. The church never. The church exalts women. Absolutely right. The church realizes the the, uh, the they're, other They're not,
2: not second class citizens.
1: This whole idea that uh that the, 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 the first of all the life giving potential of the woman. Yeah. The, that the woman is the one that gives birth. This is a what a what a great gift.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh, in fact, I I, w- I mean, I wish I was able to just understand what that would be like to have life within you like that. I mean I just it's just such a beautiful beautiful concept. I would pay to see that. No, you wouldn't pay to see that. <laughs> but but the, the but the dignity if of women. Especially you. And you think about it, you know, the most dignified or exalted woman Right. Is Mary. Absolutely. Right. We, we read in Luke uh, chapter 1, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And of course, she even says about herself, she says in uh, just a little bit later on in that same chapter, for behold, henceforth, all generations will call me blessed. She is indeed blessed. Absolutely. She was blessed by God to carry God in her womb. Yeah. Right. What a great honor. Yeah. What a great honor. And this is a higher honor than any man has ever been given on this earth. That's true. Right? So this is a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. So the, the idea that women have no place in the church is erroneous. Yeah. Now, it's also important for us to understand when St. Paul, he talks uh, tells the Romans in chapter 12, he says, For as in one body we have many members, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, though many... Are one body in Christ, and individually members of uh, one of another. And so, it's important for us to understand that we are one body. We are united, but we don't all have the same gifts, the same talents, the same potential, the same, or sorry, the same opportunities. Right. This is important for us to understand that we have different roles. We have different things to do, different parts to play in the story of salvation. Exactly. Women are not the same as men. Thank God. <laughs>
2: Viva a different
1: home. That's exactly right. It's it's important for us to understand that. Right. And this idea that God revealed himself as a father, mm-hmm. as a male figure, and that Jesus his son mm-hmm. right marries the church. It's important this understanding of the I don't know, the male and the female and the difference. Yeah, the roles. And a lot of people want to try to take God and they want to take the gender away from God. God was not a man and was not a woman. Right. Understand that, that, that God the Father, but he revealed himself as a father. Right. Right? But n- and not as a mother. He revealed himself as a father. But, he has, but as spirit, he is neither male nor female. Right. But still, we see him as a he. He revealed himself to us as a he. We refer to him as a he. Right. And a lot of people want to sort of tone that down and say, well, let's not talk about that because that makes women seem like they're less important.
2: No, it doesn't.
1: But they're... Well, you know, I, I was thinking about what uh, would have been like if you were watching that that Star Wars movie, you know, and Darth Vader says, uh, "Luke, I'm your non-gendered procreator." You know, it doesn't have the same impact, does it? No. But it we understand. I know that was a terrible joke. We, that but was we understand terrible. the the concept of the Father, right? Right, and the gift of the Father, you know, to the Son, and then the Son to the world. Right. And we and we realize that that relationship, and then we also see that connection between Jesus. The 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 Son of God, and we see the the priest, exactly in persona Christi, right? As also uh, those sons of God, yeah, right with a small s, right? They're not Jesus, no. but they're in the person of Christ, and they, right. they they represent and they bring Christ to us ministerially, right? So it's important for us to maintain that. Yep. And now Scripture, we still have some other scriptures we want to read. We want to we want to read uh, in fir- from First Timothy. Okay. We read this letter. And it's really important for us to understand that even in this letter, we see that the ordained are male. Why? Because of this simple fact. It says, Now a bishop must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Temperate, sensible, dignified, hospitable. It goes on and on Mm -hmm. about the qualities of a bishop, but husband of one wife. Mm -hmm. And then it says deacons, Let deacons be the husband of one wife, and let them manage their children and their households well. So we find out these... Prerequisites; these requirements for bishops and deacons,
2: mm-hmm.
1: well, obviously, if they're husband of one wife, that means that they're male. Right. So scripture says they're male.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, it's important for us to also realize that someone's going to say, wait a second, there was a place in there where we hear about the deaconess. So obviously, the deaconess is a woman. So obviously, God wanted there to be ordained women.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We hear that in uh, St. Paul says to the Romans, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deaconess of the church.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then he also says, and in, um, in first Timothy deacons likewise must be serious. No, not double tongue goes on about deacons, but at the end he says the women likewise must be serious, no slanderers, but temperate faithful in all things. Yeah. Okay. So you look at that and go, well, wait a second. Are there deacons? Are they ordained? Right. So now we have to look at other examples in scripture. Scripture. We go back to the old Testament, Okay. And we see that at the tent of meeting, which was where the Lord was, we see in in Exodus chapter 33, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp, and he called it the tent of meeting, and everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Mm -hmm. And we read later in 1 Samuel chapter 2, now Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Now, this is about a bad episode yeah. where the sons of Eli are having relations with these women. But the point is, here are women who are at the entrance to the tent of meeting. Uh-huh. So there was a role for a woman to be there as sort of a guardian of the door. Mm-hmm. And so we see that relationship. Perhaps this is what's going on. Okay. Let's look at the early church. All right. Let's get some examples from the early church and find out what the early church thought about ordaining women in a document called the Apostolic Constitutions. Mm-hmm. This is written around 325 A.D. It says a deaconess does not bless, but neither does she perform anything else that is done by presbyters, which are priests and, and deacons. But she guards the doors and greatly assists the presbyters for the sake of decorum when they are baptizing women. And we also read in the Council of Nicaea, also 325 A.D., Similarly, in regard to the deaconesses, as with all who are enrolled in the register, the same procedure is to be observed. We have made mention of the deaconesses who have been enrolled in this position. Although, not having been in any way ordained, they are certainly to be numbered among the laity. That's canon 19 of the Council of Nicaea. And And there are other examples in church history, but mm-hmm. also in the scriptures that help us to understand this important role of the woman in that ministerial capacity. Mm-hmm. Because you remember, these were men in, in those days when they were baptized and they were rubbing oil all over the naked bodies of the baptized. Right. Well, this was, they de- deemed this inappropriate for a man to do this to a woman. Mm-hmm. And so to, to deal with that, they would have women that assisted. Deaconesses. Right. They had deaconesses that did that. And also these same deaconesses were the ones that would guard the doors. Right. Right. Because they did have some kind of role of authority, some kind of – they were a fixture. But they weren't the priests. Right. They weren't the deacons. Right. And it's important for us to understand that. We also see uh, St. Hippolytus – wrote in 215 A.D. He wrote this. He says, When a widow is to be appointed, she is not to be ordained, but is designated by being named a widow. A widow is appointed by words alone and then associated with the other widows. Hands are not imposed on her because she does not offer the oblation and she does not conduct the liturgy. Ordination is for the clergy because of the liturgy, but a widow is appointed for prayer and prayer is the duty of all. Right. So there was an early understanding and you don't see... A lot of writings where people talk about ordaining women, yeah, and so this modern notion, this idea that we need to be modern and we need to bring women and we need to ordain them, it doesn't fit into what has happened yeah. in, the, in the past, and here perhaps is the most important scripture, yep I want to read this one. this one is from Luke chapter six, and when it was day, he this is Jesus, called his disciples and chose them from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Mm -hmm. Okay, in all of those names, it's simple. Jesus didn't call a woman. Right. You know, Jesus was a radical in his day. He was a radical. He did things that no other person was doing. He got in trouble all the time from the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the yeah. scribes. Everybody said, Jesus, what are you doing? You're a radical. You're a revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that if he was that radical and that revolutionary, he would have picked a woman? Great point. That's he would have picked point. a woman. Yeah. And our catechism tells us calls this to mind in in, uh, paragraph 1577, only a baptized man validly receives sacred ordination. The Lord Jesus chose men to form the college of the 12 apostles, and the apostles did the same when they chose collaborators to succeed them in their ministry. Mm -hmm. So it's important that the church understands this. Mm -hmm. And we have these great quotes that I like to read from Blessed John Paul II. He wrote in 1994 in uh, his document, Ordinatio Dotalis. I'm sorry, I butchered that. Easy for you to say. Yeah, I know. This is uh, paragraph four. He wrote, although the teaching that priestly ordination is to be reserved to men alone has been preserved by the constant and universal tradition of the church and firmly taught by the magisterium in its more recent documents, at the present time in some places it is nonetheless considered still open to debate or the church's judgment that women are not to be admitted to ordination is considered to have a merely disciplinary force wherefore in order that all doubt may be removed regarding a matter of great importance a matter which pertains to Christ to the church's divine constitution itself in virtue of my ministry of confirming the brethren I declare that the church has no authority whatsoever to confer priestly ordination on women, and that this judgment is to be definitively held by all the church's faithful. Now, wow, that pretty much shuts the door. <laughs> it does. So, I just want people to realize this is not something that we we need to pray to accept and understand what the role of the woman is in the church and what what a great and exalted being the woman is. Right. And and think that maybe if we, if we all have gifts, they're not all the same gifts, and we're called to different roles and different responsibilities. Yep. So hopefully this has uh, helped people understand a little bit more about what the church teaches about the ordination of women. You're right. Let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the gifts and blessings you've given us, especially the gift of your holy church, our Mother. Through the sacraments you have established, help us to be open to her many graces and to receive with great desire her spouse, Jesus, your son, in the Eucharistic banquet offered for all by the hands of your holy priests. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send an email to Deacon Jeff at thecatholiccafe.com.